Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, welcome, Emmanuel Faith. It's so good to be together today. And if you're joining us uh, online, a special welcome to you also. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent, you may or may not be aware, is not the same as Christmas. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. During Advent, which that word Advent means arrival, we posture our hearts to once again wait for his coming, both into our hearts as individuals and as a community of faith, but also his second coming as he promises to return. Well, it's in this season as we discipline our hearts to wait that sometimes we make physical reminders of how to do that. Anybody have a uh, paper chain in their house with days leading up to Christmas? Anybody? Okay, a few. Uh, if you don't have one of those, you will be reminded from here on out how many shopping days you have left until Christmas. So this is your daily reminder. You have 21 days as of now. And, uh, you know, during this season, I, I believe that this is definitely one of the most wonderful times of the year, isn't it? I love Christmas music. I love Christmas movies. I love getting together as a family and playing games and enjoying good food and just having a great time together. I, I love our Christmas concerts that are coming up next weekend. I hope you're planning on joining us for one of those and bringing some friends with you. But I've also noticed that Christmas is a time when our sentimentality and nostalgia sort of just are stirred up in, in our bones. I mean, we hear songs like Bing Crosby's famous song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it just does something to us, doesn't it? I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow or rain <laughs> and mistletoe and presents under the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. If the person next to you wasn't singing, just elbow them for me. <laughs> that, that song was originally written as a way to honor soldiers who were fighting overseas, longing to be home, but who weren't able to be home with their families. But I think it touches a very human and innate longing that resides within every single one of us. And it's the longing for home. It's that longing for home. We see it in, expressed in, in art pieces like Norman Rockwell's famous Christmas homecoming where this man is being embraced by his family. You can see the kids sort of looking on, the adults looking in, this guy smoking a pipe and everybody's just, excited to welcome this person home. It reminds me of the way that I pictured things going when I would come home from being away at school, at college, and come home to see my family over Christmas break. I don't know if you remember that feeling, but finishing that last final and getting in a car and driving home to a place where you're known, where people love you, a place where you can eat good food rather than dorm food. Can I get an amen? A place where you can be in your pajamas and be completely comfortable. That's what home is, isn't it? A place where we're known, where we're valued, where we're loved, where 
we just know that we belong. A place where we're always welcome. And during this season, all sorts of feelings sort of stir up within us, don't they? Because for some of us, that, that place of home like, didn't look like this. For some people in this room, that, that place that you called home wasn't a place of safety and it wasn't a place of welcome and it wasn't a place where you were comfortable. It was a place where you were always on guard, where it was a bit chaotic and maybe you were even taken advantage of. But I, I think on a more sort of transcendent human level, like even if this was your experience of home, there are still things that go on in life that make you feel a bit nomadic. Like, like you don't quite fit. Uh, just this week, I've prayed with people who are experiencing the journey of infertility, where they're looking at a Christmas and they're looking at a home that they wish was more full than it is. I, I've prayed with people and walked with people who have family members who are experiencing and just caught in the throes of addiction that they can't quite seem to shake. And there's just this deep sense of lament in each of their hearts. I, I, I've prayed with people just this week who found out a few weeks ago that they, they'd lost their job. So Merry Christmas, right? And that feeling of, of being homesick is a feeling that I think a lot of us can resonate with. I think we sort of walk through life whispering along with Dorothy, there's no place like, and yet we wonder if there ever will be a place that we can truly call home, where we're welcomed, where we're known, where we're valued, where we're loved, and where the world just seems right. That longing resides in every single one of us. And yet, and yet, even on our greatest moments, even in the moments where it comes as close to fulfillment as we could imagine, there's still something, just a little something that's missing. Isn't there? It's because that desire for home is wired into every single one of us. The scriptures would say that we have eternity in our hearts. And I think every time that sense of, of nostalgia or maybe sentiment, sentimentalism is stirred up with us during this time of year where we long for that place of home or where we feel complete and we feel whole, I think it's a reminder. It's a, it's a divine residue that resides on every human soul because we were created for life with God. As C.S. Lewis so poignantly stated, he said, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so maybe those nostalgic longings, those all be home for Christmas longings, maybe they're designed to point us to a true home. Something that transcends gathering around a table with good food and good family. Something that's deeper and even more poignant than that. Something that can only be found in God himself. See, in this passage, Jesus tells us about this other world. He tells us about that home that we long for that just sort of resides in our bones, that we get shadows and hints and winks and nods of in this world and in this life, but that we know is unfulfilled. Jesus makes a promise in this passage about home. And when we believe his promise, we go from wandering nomads to hopeful pilgrims. So today I wanna to teach you how to become a hopeful pilgrim. Would you open with me to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. 
And as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of context because it's important. We're sort of picking up in the middle of a conversation. Jesus told his disciples to go find an upper room in Jerusalem where they would celebrate the Passover feast together. They, they did that. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus told them that one of them was going to betray him. And then he gave Judas a piece of bread and, and Judas left the meal. And then he told Peter that Peter was going to deny him. And in the middle of all that, he dropped this bomb on his disciples and he said, little children, Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. My translation, boys, I'm leaving you. That's a heavy dinner. That's a heavy dinner. I mean, talk of denial, betrayal, the awkwardness of foot washing. And then, oh, by the way, just a little while longer, and then, boys, I'm out. I mean, if you're, if you're Jesus' disciples and you've walked with Jesus for three years, if, if you've walked along those dusty streets of Judea with him, if you've, if you've heard him joke with you, if you've experienced the comfort that he's poured into your life, if you've seen his teaching and leaned in and asked questions and wanted more, and you've started to taste the beauty of the kingdom of God in your midst, and then Jesus tells you, hey guys, I'm out of here, you would be devastated. I mean, all of us have people that we've lost, that we've had to say goodbye to, and that we miss terribly, but none of us have walked face to face with Jesus, sensed his hug and his comfort, known he was leaving and had to say goodbye. So you just need to feel that because it's into that pain that Jesus begins to minister. John chapter 14, starting in verse one. Are you there? Great, here we go. Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Right, let's just stop there for a moment. I love that in the midst of, of Jesus's own trouble, I mean, he's, he's going to the cross. It's happening. It's about to happen. And we see that Jesus is a has been experiencing trouble for the last few days. I mean, he walked up to Lazarus's tomb and it says he was troubled. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and it says he's troubled. He tells the disciples of Judas's betrayal. The scriptures say he's troubled in his soul. But here's the thing I love about Jesus. Unlike me and maybe unlike you, when Jesus is troubled, he's still able to see the troubles of those around him. I, so much of the time I get buried in my own pain and buried in my own sorrow. And it's so hard for me to see the sorrow and the pain of others. But Jesus is not like you and he's not like me. Even in the midst of his own pain, he's ministering to the sorrow and pain of others. And I absolutely love that. And here's what he tells them. He says to them, belief, belief. If I could summarize Jesus's statement, it's that a, a fresh trust is the antidote to a troubled heart. But his call to believe isn't, isn't arbitrary. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. But then he goes on to tell his disciples what to believe in him and his father for. So it's not just believe, it's believe for the very thing that Jesus promises to do. And listen to what that is. Verse two, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. 
every time I read this, I think it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can play football. football. Thank you, audio adrenaline people in the house, right? Thank you. In my father's big, big house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a what? Place for you. That word that we translate in the English place is the Greek word mone. Would you say that with me? And it's got the same root word as the word that we translate abide. So abide is the verbal form of this noun place. So if you're going to abide, that's a verb. You make your home in someone, which we'll talk about in a few weeks in John chapter 15, when Jesus says, abide in me. But before he ever tells his disciples to abide in him, he says, I'm going to prepare an abode for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you, Jesus says. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Not I might, not if things go according to plan. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus makes three promises in these short few verses, and I don't want you to miss them. So let me outline them for you. Number one, he promises to prepare a home. And I love the picture of Jesus preparing because we know what it feels like to prepare space during the holidays, don't we? To get, to get a room ready, to get meals ready, to get an itinerary ready of this is what we're gonna do when they're here and this is how things are gonna go, that we spend intentional time preparing space for others. Think about this, you guys. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords has spent intentional time preparing space for you, for you. He promises to prepare a place for you where you feel completely at home, completely welcomed, completely known, completely loved. Let's just close in prayer. That's good. Second, he says, I'm leaving, but I will return and I will, when I return, I will bring you home. See, this is a reminder that we really do live in between two advents or two arrivals. We live in between the declaration that Christ has come and we live with the anticipation that Christ will come again. This is the Advent season. And it's that hope that just stirs up within our bones. We're in the middle of a story that God is telling. And then finally, this home is epitomized by Jesus's presence and by relationship with he and his father. He says, I will take you to that place so that, so that you will be where I am. Did you know that what we call heaven, Jesus calls where I am. What you call heaven, Jesus calls where I am. The great commentator Dale Bruner, commentator Dale Bruner put it like this. Heaven in John's gospel is the real presence of Jesus Christ himself with his people. 
That's the home that we long for. That's the place that sort of resonates in our bones. That's the deeper longing, that the shadow of it is a family that's gathered around a table or a place where you're welcomed back home after being away. That's the shadow. The reality is a place where you feel like you can be completely you in the presence of the God who created you. That's what every single one of us long for deepest in our bones. And so Jesus says, listen, the promise of an eternal home is hope for the troubled heart. That's why he speaks that into that moment. The disciples are troubled. So he says, believe, believe I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a place where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death, where the old order of things will pass away and behold, the new will come. It's a place where you don't have to say goodbye anymore. It's a place where you don't have to wonder if you're going to have enough to eat anymore. It's a place where you can feel completely whole and completely home. Jesus says that place exists. I'm preparing it for you. And I promise, I promise, he says, I will bring you there. See, Jesus is promising to fulfill the desires of the season of Christmas that so often show up in the form of nostalgia. He's promising to fulfill them in their most full extent. Because that longing, that longing of, for home is really just a divine residue that remains on every human soul, declaring what we were ultimately designed for, life with God. Life with God. He promises to bring us home in everything that that word means. Now, there's, there's four questions that I think Jesus tackles in this short section of scripture about our eternal home that I wanna answer for us today. How do we get there? How can we be sure we're gonna make it? What's it gonna be like or are we gonna like it? And then finally, how can we know today? So first, how do we get there? Let's keep reading, verse four. And Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, um, Lord, <clears throat> we do not know where you are going. Like, hey, Jesus, this just in, not only do we not know the way, but we don't even know the destination. So let's just start with the where, and then we can talk about how to get there. So how can we know the way? And I think underneath all of this, Thomas is sort of like, just give us a coordinates and we'll drop it into our iPhone maps and then we can know how to get there. Solve that problem for us. And Jesus answers him and says to his question, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. I, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. That's one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible, isn't it? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus declares. 
I'm reminded that Jesus didn't say that he was a particular ethic or a particular doctrine or a particular religion. He claimed to be truth and life and the way personified. He didn't say, I'll teach you the way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'll teach you the truth. He said, look at me, I am truth. He didn't say, I can show you the way to get to life. He said, I am life. And I think in doing all of that, Jesus is painting in broad strokes and giving us a picture, not just of, um, of, of the exclusivity, which we'll talk about, of his convictions about who he is, but really what he's telling them in the context of this passage is how to make it home. How do we step into everything that our soul longs for and our soul desires? Jesus says, I'm how. I'm the way. That that eternal home is accessed through Jesus exclusively, exclusively. Two things that I want you to recognize. First, um, Jesus makes it clear that his offer of making it to an eternal home and to life eternal with God is only available through him. Hard stop. It's not available through Muhammad. It's not available through Buddha. It's not available through Joseph Smith. It is only available through him. I always say that Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion to have ever existed. It's inclusive because anybody's invited. It's exclusive because we only come through Jesus. And if we come at all, we only come through Jesus. He would make this so clear. He makes this clear in verse six. He says, no one, no, no, that's you, that's me. Everybody you've ever laid eyes on, no one comes to the father except through me. As Peter would state in one of his sermons after the resurrection and after the coming of the spirit, he said, there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. No other name. Because you cannot make it on your own, you need someone to bring you. That someone has a name, his name is Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Is that Jesus claims that we make it home through him. Through him. And that word believe that you'll see a number of times in the 14 verses that we're looking at today. Actually, you'll see five times in the, in the few verses we're looking at today is the way that we step into him. It's the way that we become in him. But here's the good news, you guys. Here's the good news. If it's through him that we make it home, that means it's not through us. It's not through your good works. It's not through your own righteousness. It's not because you were a good person. It's not because you were able to shake your addictions and get your life in order and check, check, check. It's not because you came to church. The only way we get to the eternal home that every single one of us longs for is through the person and work of Jesus. It's only through him. It's not through you. If you're relying on your own good works today to make it to your eternal home, you will never make it. It's only through Jesus. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Access exclusively through Jesus. And after declaring that he's the way home, 
Listen to the way he tur- the conversation turned next. He said, if you had known me, whoops, hey Daniel, can you help me out? Next slide. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. I just love that now we have Thomas asking questions and Philip asking questions. And don't you just, you gotta believe that Peter is somewhere in the room going, thank goodness other people are asking questions. So I don't have to keep looking like an idiot, right? Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Thomas. And I love this. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Like, remember, a few chapters earlier, Jesus walked up to the tomb of a man who'd been dead for four days, said, hey, Lazarus, why don't you get up and why don't you come out? And Lazarus was like, whoa, that was crazy. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. What would be enough, Philip says, is if you would just simply show us the Father. See, Philip is looking for some mystical vision of God, but he's denying the revelation that's staring him right in the face. I started to wonder how many of us do the exact same thing. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I've mentioned this a number of times in our study of John's gospel, but I'll mention it again. If anyone ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, you can simply respond and say, you're wrong. You're wrong. He did a number of different times. He just did so in a very Jewish way. He said, Philip, if you look at, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is an explicit claim to deity. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. There's two things that I want you to see about this passage, and typically, will sort of isolate this out and say, see, Jesus is making a claim to be uh, one with his father, which he is. That he's claiming, if you've seen him, you've seen his father, which he does. But I want us to set this in the context of the promise that Jesus has just made, the promise, I will bring you home. So why does he start talking about the fact that he's unified with the father right after he's made the promise that he will bring them home? He's saying, the one who's making this promise to you is no mere mortal. Sure, Jesus is the son of Joseph and Mary and he was born in Bethlehem and he was raised in Nazareth. But make no mistake about it, friends, he's also the king of the universe. He's the Lord of lords. He's king over it all. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the one who's making the promise to them. I'm preparing a place for you and I will bring you home. Jesus is saying that all of the power of heaven is leveraged to get you home. No resource of heaven is off limits to get you home. Your journey home 
to the place where you belong, to the place where you can become, to the place where you're satisfied and completely secure. Your journey home is secured by God's divine power. All the power of heaven is at Jesus' disposal to get you home. So I've been thinking about this idea of coming home. And um, each morning I wake up, and when I wake up, I, I, you know, I, I brew my coffee, I read my Bible, I pray, and then I go to my news app, and I start reading through and just seeing. And um, one of the top stories on the news that I'm following uh, recently is the hostage releases that are going on in Israel. And um, I, I don't know about you, my, my heart's just breaking. Um, there's 240 Israelis who were taken hostage about two months ago. At this point, 97 of them, I believe, have been released. And if you watch those videos, they're, they're just absolutely um, heartbreaking. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to have somebody just break into your home and take you? And for two months to wonder, am I ever going to make it home? Is anybody coming for me? Does anybody actually care? And as I was praying for these people and this situation and all that's going, I mean, I, I hope you're still praying for peace in Jerusalem. I hope you're praying for the people of Israel. I hope you're praying for a resolution to this conflict between Israel and Palestine. I hope you're praying for the people of Gaza. I, I hope you're praying. I hope you're praying. Lord, please. Here's what I want you to realize, though. Spiritually speaking, you will never be in the, same, in the position where you are held hostage where God is unable to get you where he wants you to go. You will never experience the feeling of being held captive where you're unable to get to the place that God designed for you. We have already been redeemed. We have been freed from captivity and we have been purchased back from the evil one and the grave. The exchange has already been made. The perfect son of God gave his life for you, died for your sin. By faith, you might be saved and redeemed in him. You've been released. You will make it home. Jesus promises you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. And the second thing that Jesus said, the second thing that Jesus said that I want you to notice is, uh, is captured in this phrase that we read in verse two, that the place that he's preparing for us, did you, did you, did you get where it is? It's in, the, in his father's house. It's in his father's house. So I could imagine disciples asking questions like, how can, you, how can we be sure that we're gonna make it? And he goes, well, I have all the authority of heaven to be good on my promise. And they're like, okay, that's good, that's good. <laughs> and then I can imagine them saying, how can we be sure we're gonna like it? <laughs> and he would say, because I and the father are one. It's my father's house. So what's it going to be like being in the father's house for all of eternity? It's going to 
be like what it was like for the disciples walking with Jesus for those three years. They're, they're, they've already gotten a foretaste of their eternal home as they've walked around with Jesus, their Messiah. Their eternal home is a, is a place where the wine and joy never run dry, where the food never runs out, where outcast women are welcomed, where the sick are healed, where the blind receive sight, where the paralyzed are able to get up and walk, where the dead come to life. Their eternal home is permeated with everlasting love because Jesus and his father are one. So when they see the kingdom on display, when they see Jesus doing what they're doing, they're getting a foretaste of what they will experience for all eternity. And it's a thing that every single one of our hearts long for also. He goes, not only are you gonna make it, but you're going to love it. Whoops. Because everything sad will become untrue. Welcome home. It's a place that's permeated with love. So after telling his disciples that they're going to make it and they're going to love it, Jesus then turns his attention to how they can taste it today. And that's where we'll turn our attention to. He said this, truly, truly, which is Jesus's way of saying, listen up, don't miss this. If you're taking notes, write this one down. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because, everyone say because, I am going to the Father. Now, how many of you, along with me, have a difficult time believing this promise? Okay, so if you don't, let's just talk about some of the things that Jesus did. And then you tell me if you're going to do greater things. So, Jesus died for the sin of the world. Anyone? Anyone brave enough? Jesus died for the sin of the world. Jesus defeated the devil and made a mockery of him. Jesus walked on water. Anyone? You've water skied. Not the same. Jesus fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Jesus lived a sinless life. Greater works? Greater works? I don't know. I've wrestled with that for my whole Christian life, I think. And um, I read a number of commentaries this week, and they're almost unanimous in saying that the greater work that Jesus is talking about is more work, not better work. So it's, it's quantitatively greater, not qualitatively greater. And when you read it like that, it starts to make a little bit more sense. I mean, Jesus only traveled um, a short distance from his hometown. He poured the majority of his ministry into 12 guys, one of whom bailed on him. A few weeks after his death and resurrection, there was 120 people gathering to worship. I mean, look, just look around. Few more than that here today. However, when the Spirit descended 
And Peter started to preach. In one day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. Within one generation, the church would reach to the edges of the Mediterranean world. Today, we see the message of Jesus brought into almost every translated language. Greater works. That's what I think I think Jesus is talking about. I think Jesus is pointing to that. The brilliant Daryl Johnson put it like this. He said, the greater work is announcing and applying the benefits of his greatest work. And when every single one of us do that, when every single one of us announce and apply that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus has conquered sin, death, and evil, that the spirit has come and the spirit dwells in every believer. We'll talk more about that next week. When we announce that, when we declare that, and when we live that, we see Jesus on the move doing more than we could ever possibly imagine doing on our own. Amen? And Jesus tells us why he's going to be able to do the greater work. He says it's because he goes to the Father. Did you know that right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The scriptures say he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. You have an, you have an advocate before the throne of God right now. And so his application to that, his, his, his come on church to that is, so whatever you ask, everybody say whatever. whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. See, the risen Jesus does more than the historical Jesus through his praying disciples. He says, that's how you will do greater things. I go to the Father. I lived a perfect life, died for sin, resurrected for new life, ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's where I am right now. So when you ask in my name, you are asking based on my authority and my credit, not your own. See, we face, you guys, we, we face a defeated enemy with infinite resources. And here's the picture that I want to give you. There's a lot of people, they, they'll, um, they'll move to the United States and they'll work here and they, they'll send money home. They'll send money home. There's sort of the opposite going on here. Jesus goes home and he sends resources to pilgrims, you and me, in exile. And so every time we pray in his name, and every time we experience an answered prayer in his name, we are experiencing a foretaste of what he promised. The home that he prepared for us is coming into our life. In that moment, we get to experience where we will spend eternity one day. Experience. The eternal home that we, Jesus is preparing for us is experienced through answered prayer. Through answered prayer. Does that make sense? So here's my encouragement to you. Here's my encouragement to you. Just um, four things when it comes to praying and asking for anything in his name, and he will do whatever we ask. Number one, I want to encourage you to draw near to Jesus. I have a good friend who reminds me that, that power through prayer is birthed in intimacy with Jesus. That picture of Jesus, or of, of John lying on Jesus' chest, being so close to his heart, that's the inception point of praying in his name. 
That's where we start to experience answered prayer is when that becomes our posture. Second, I want to encourage you to ask boldly. Jesus wants us to be expectant prayers. He says, ask anything, ask whatever. So what's on your heart today? What's the pain that just echoes and resides in your bones? Tell him about it. Ask him to move boldly. Lay your head on his chest and then ask him to move. Jesus expects his church to be miraculous and missional. Third, receive humbly. Listen, I'm I'm just going to be straight with you. I, I lament that I don't see as much of this kind of power in my life as I would like to. So I want to both humbly receive whatever Jesus wants to pour out into my life. But I want to never stop asking for more. I feel like it would be disobedient to stop asking. And maybe some of you are in that spot today where you've just grown so... Um, like hoping is hard sometimes. It's way easier to check out. It's way easier to coast than it is to hope. But read this promise, you guys. Put it, put it on your mirror when you get ready in the morning. Put it on the uh, uh, dashboard of your car. Don't, don't cover your speedometer, but put it there. And, <laughs> and pray. Pray it. Believe it. Lean into it. And then finally, um, I just want to encourage you to seek God's glory above, above it all. Verse 13, Jesus said this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that, my Father may be glo- that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why does Jesus advocate and intercede for us? Why does the Father answer prayer? It's so that he might be glorified. Let's align our lives with the same. You know, I've, I've always been a bit perturbed that the one who promised that he was going to prepare a home for us was essentially homeless. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's a bit comforting because Jesus also experienced the transitory nature of the life that we live, that, that, that sort of that fleeting like, oh, we're almost, we're almost there. I mean, he's born in a, in a manger a few miles outside of the city of David. His parents travel to Bethlehem where he's born. He's not even born in his hometown. His father then leads them to be um, on the run in exiles in Egypt. He's described as beings from Nazareth, but when you asked him, he would say, the son of man has no place to lay his head. The one who promises an eternal home is essentially homeless. That's what it took to be good on the promise. I will bring you home. Because in order to bring people like you and me home, people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, in order to bring us to the place where we can feel whole and we can feel secure and we can feel satisfied and we can feel home, in order to bring us home, Jesus had to leave his home. And he did. And that's what we celebrate every 
Christmas. We celebrate a God who loved us so much that he was unwilling to let us go and spiral into eternal hell, that he wanted to save us and redeem us. It was his good pleasure to do so. And he has done what he promised to do. So by faith in him, if you believe in him, he promises that you will have everlasting life, everlasting home in him. That's his promise. And as those nostalgic feelings stir this Christmas, I just want, want to encourage you, feel them all. Like, like don't distance yourself from them. Feel them, feel them. And then be reminded that one day, one day, all of your hopes will be realized because he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, he says, you may be also sealed by his blood, carried by his spirit and promised because he has authority. You know, um, every year when we decorate our tree, we come, uh, we come to this one ornament that, that guts me every year. And um, it did again this year. This year we celebrated the 10 year anniversary of my mom passing away at the age of 58. And, um, and going home. My sister made these ornaments for everybody in my family. And at the very top of it is a phrase that she had written in her journal. It wasn't original to her, but it meant a lot to her a number of years before and a number of different times. This world is not our, is not our home. And I had these words of Jesus and John's gospel dancing around in my mind as I put that up on the tree this year. And as I hung the ornament, I, I was reminded this world is not our home, but she is home and she is whole because Jesus is faithful to what he promises and he has all authority. He got her there. She didn't get herself there. And I promise you, she loves it. And today we get little breadcrumbs and winks and nods of what she experiences in full. And I can't wait to be there with her one day. By faith in Jesus, you too will arrive at the home that he is preparing for you. The longing that you have deep in your bones to be finally satisfied and completely secure, he will be good on. And you'll be able to put your PJs on and feel completely comfortable. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for the promise that you go to prepare a place for us. I can only assume, Lord, that you're really good at preparing and that that place is better than anything I could imagine. So for all my friends in this space today, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the hope of eternity in your presence, that we would be where you are. Help us wait for it well during this Advent season. Help us long for it. Help us hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.